everybody's an individual. It doesn't matter what happened in your childhood. It doesn't matter what's happened in your future. It's all about the moments. You're listening to Let It Out with me, Katie. Welcome for the first time, if this is your first time here. I'm so happy that you're listening. Today, you're eavesdropping on a conversation I had with a friend of mine, Whitney Kent Chamberlain. He's a fascinating person with so much depth, and I loved this conversation that I'm really excited for you to hear as quickly as possible. Whitney has done so many things in his life from working in marketing to photography, starting a bunch of businesses and this really special event called Field Trip, which feels like a combination of all of his interests, relationships, experiences, creativity, making art, connecting people, bringing people together. And it was so cool just now as I was getting the links for the show notes together, I was looking at the Field Trip website and It's really cool having gotten to know him in this interesting way from living with him, which we discuss a little bit in this episode. Field Trip is so wonderful, and I am bummed that we didn't talk about it more, and he'll have to come back closer to the next one to talk about it more, but it really feels like him and the inside of his brain after getting to know him, and I think you'll get to know him a bit So if you listen to this podcast weekly, you know that our last few episodes were sponsored by a meditation app called Headspace. And I was thinking about some themes and some people I want to talk about who I knew meditated. And Whitney came to mind instantly. And I thought we would actually be talking about meditation as like a topic. And I thought, he would be the perfect person to discuss that with. But we ended up having this much broader conversation about him and his life that ended up being really cool. And I'm excited for you to listen to it. We cover Witt's interesting background from his parents dying at a super young age to pivoting careers multiple times and how he's navigated a bunch of unexpected twists in his plan from COVID like we all have. But Like I say in this episode, he had a particular dose of pivots. And we also talk about parenthood and relationships and learning as you go and changing and self-awareness and being an introvert and identities and creativity and friendship and slowing down. And of course, we do talk about meditation and, and we mentioned going back to some other episodes about meditation which I'll just mention briefly here, but the links will be in the show notes. But we talk about my episode with Bob Roth from 2014 and last year's episode with Vedic meditation teacher Tom Knowles is a good one to go back to. And then of course, a couple of weeks ago, Kels came on and co-hosted and we spoke about meditation at length in that episode. So those links will be in the show notes. And as always, everything that we discuss here will be in the show notes. And if you want those emailed to you, you can be on the Let It Out letter list and they'll come right to you if you would like that. I'm so grateful that you're here. Tis the season to say that, but genuinely every week that I get to have these conversations and share them and, and meet all of you and 
I'm just really grateful that I get to do this. And I'm so grateful that Whitney was here and, and we got to have this conversation together in person. And I think having neighbors and community and people around is is so important and so tricky right now. So I hope that you have your version of people who are cozy around you. All right. This is my conversation with Whitney Kent Chamberlain recorded like a week ago. I hope you enjoy it. Stick around at the end. I will give you the emoji for this week's episode, let you know who's coming up on the show next week and a couple other end of year housekeeping announcements. Whitney Kent Chamberlain. Yes. Thank you for doing this. Welcome to Let It Out. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad to be actually here in front of you during the time of COVID. Are we allowed to tell them that we tell them everything. Oh, yeah. That we live together, kind yeah. of? Yes. Fully? Fully. We fully live together, <laughs> but not like that, people. <laughs> now we're neighbors. Yes. Yes, true. This is the first in-person recording in my new apartment. Yeah, which is a fabulous studio apartment I'm quite jealous of, but let's... Congratulations. Yes, to you. To you for being the first let it out here. <laughs> How... How are you feeling today? I'm glad we're doing this because we, this is my favorite thing to do with my friends because I feel like I get to know them more doing the podcast than I do on a normal day. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I am a long-winded human, but I'm a man of few words when it comes to like deep heart-to-heart communication. I know that sounds like a paradox, but I'm feeling great. What? has COVID and quarantine and this year taught you so far? Well, my ego wants to say that I was right. (laughs) About what? I guess a couple examples is that, and I mean, obviously my name is Whitney Kent Chamberlain. I'm not an Instagram influencer or a famous human or I haven't written a book, but there's been some things in my life like photography and a producer and a creator and marketing things that I've, I've done well at. And one of those, one of those things is photography. And I would always photograph. How do I say this? I'm sorry. I know that podcasts are not good for long drawn out. That's all that let it out is. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. So take your time. When digital photography came something, I people would literally do this thing called pray and spray. They would just take so many photos with their camera. I want to say 15 years ago. Canon came out with like a 10D or something like that. All the camera buffs were like, I remember that. Anyways, they would do this thing called pray and spray. They would just take pictures and more pictures and fill up. SD cards and just go crazy. And I've always kind of remembered the just how we never slowed down and how everything just started going a lot faster and a lot quicker. And we would just do this thing where we would just kind of throw stuff out there and information started moving really quick and you had so many sources and you could fill up SD cards and just then keep filling them up. And then later on, you would go back and kind of choose out of all these things. I shot I shot weddings at one point in my life and I mean, obviously 15 years ago, but when I shot a wedding in my life, we started out, my ex-wife 
wonderful, love her, um, shot film. And she would shoot maybe 200 images, mm-hmm. right? Two, 300 images, and that's what they would deliver. When we started shooting digital, we would deliver, we would shoot like thousands upon thousands of images, which just created things on a completely different level, and we started moving that way. Then the iPhone came out, and then social apps came out. Just everything started stacking upon each other. And so it was really interesting when COVID hit and things started to slow down. People started to kind of get bored with certain things. I mean, I think Instagram has a place, right? But we, I watched people unfollow. What I'm getting at here is with COVID, we had to sit for a second. And things were moving so fast that we didn't see things around us even in our own environment, in our own homes, you know, and everything. I think that there's been two different directions that I've seen. I see people online more and I see people offline more. And I come from a little bit of the camp of getting offline a little bit more because when you got online a lot, you realize that it all really doesn't matter and that we're all stuck in our homes and everyone's fabulous life became equalized if that makes any sense it like we all were at the same level kind of like the old bernie sanders socialism kind of idea where we're all just kind of like there so for covid for me i guess i would have to say I, i produce a festival that was about slowing down and kind of looking at things a little bit and setting down old ideas to open up for new and, and kind of breaking away. Like we would, we didn't do a one day festival. We did like a three or four day festival because it takes time. And I know that three or four days is not must, but we're, we're setting up tools for people to take time. And I think with COVID, it was nice. We all got a little bit of time. And then we also got a little empathy when we saw people dying. And it was nice to, see humans actually caring and slowing down. Yeah. I mean, and it seems like we're more in it than ever. So this is going to stick around. I mean, it it impacted every part of your work. Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, let's not get into the woes of this quite yet, but yeah, I had 27 employees. I had two major companies. They were all event-based, right? That was all my financial money was event-based and I had a lot of money out on deposits and on certain events of my own. And I just paid taxes right before COVID and I was banking on this new event. All my savings was out the window, but that's, that's for another time. You've navigated that really well. Like you, you had so much change and had to pivot and yet you're okay and be a full-time dad, which we haven't even gotten to. And I think a lot of that could have hit someone and really not saying that all of that wasn't challenging, but mm. I'm impressed with how you've navigated from what I've seen a lot of change. I mean, we've all had to navigate change this year, but yeah, that sounds like a particular dose. I mean, <laughs> sure. 
I mean, to get into the heaviness, yeah, 100%. All my savings went out the window pre-COVID. Then when COVID hit, all my deposits went out the window. And to put a dollar amount to it, I would say about $70,000, which would have come back to me in $140,000 if everything would have been fine. And that was a deposit on a house I was hoping for and all of that fun stuff. And COVID time was extremely hard for me. I had my kids full time for almost six months because their mom was diagnosed with a cancer and she was, it was dark times for her. I mean, and it was very sad and it was hard. My kids didn't get to see their mom because of COVID because she was going, her immune system was so compromised. This was very, yes, I've had some very dark times during this time. And you've navigated it well. Thank you. And you've had to be really creative. You grew up in Washington. Yeah. Were you always this creative and able to be flexible? What were you like as a kid? I grew up in a very trauma, massive trauma as a child. My father physically abused me. My parents were, my dad was a doctor. My mother was a nurse. My mom worked nights. My dad didn't. They argued a lot. I had stepbrothers and sisters that I thought were my half brothers and sisters. This is a very long, drawn out story, but I'm going to give you the 30 second. Grew up thinking that my father was my father. He was not. Found out when I was 12. Thought my brothers and sisters were my brothers and sisters, or at least half. They were not. My parents had a very trauma driven, like cops called to your house dad being hauled away for physical abuse. We had guns in our home. We had Dobermans. We had, my dad lived a fear-based life and a jeal extremely jealous man. And then my mom was completely different. She was an open heart, a nurse, a loving, and she lived a very hidden life from my father. And I would I know this because I would go to work with her sometimes and I would sit in the nurse's station and I was like, who's that really kind, loving woman that's not being submissive? It was, it was amazing. So anyways, my parents died when I was 12. In a plane crash, right? In a plane crash. The point is, is that I did not speak that much when I was 12. You didn't talk out of line. You get... You know, you didn't reach across the table or you got a fork in your hand. So, very abused as a child. And my mom was very submissive to it. And I think she felt very guilty. And at the age 12, before I was leaving for Camp Orkyla on Orcas Island, she came in my bedroom and said to me and sat me down. And she said, when I get back from this trip and you get back from camp, me and you are going to leave here and go to Kansas and run away from this whole situation together. And I remember this so clearly and so vividly. It was like, I was so excited. I was going to camp, which was also a highlight of my life. And my mom was saying that we were going to leave the situation. And it was beautiful. So they dropped me off at camp and they left. And it wasn't that night. It was the next night. And I woke up from a dream that their plane crashed. And I, it was a nightmare, not a dream. And I was sweating and yelling and everything. And the next day, I couldn't pull it together to communicate to anyone. And I was skipping rocks. And I went to bed that next day. And then the next day, I look out 
on the horizon and there was a boat coming in with a white haired lady and I turned to my counselors and I was like, is that my grandmother? And I didn't know my grandmother that well. I wouldn't, I don't even know how I knew this. And they were like, kind of like, look, the counselors looked at each other, the two on there and they were like, how does he know any of this stuff is happening? So I grew up in Washington state. I grew up in an extremely abusive family and my parents died when I was 12. Man. And so then what happened next? What did you, who did you go live with? Everything for a couple of days is a blur. I remember riding the ferry back. I don't remember who was with me. I know, I know my grandmother was with me. I don't remember like getting back, but I, I ended up living with my grandmother. The trauma was deep. I would, I missed, my mother was my best friend. Um, and she, she took care of me as much as she could. She wasn't the best mom, like in the most honesty level, but we like to glorify. So, you know, she was, let's, let's, let's give her that. I just ended up living with my grandmother. And then through that six months, that's when I found out that my dad that died and they speculate that it was suicide and he took her life in a plane crash and took the plane down. And there's reasons for that, but that's not for here for now. And my real father, which I didn't know I had, came out of the woodwork and was like, I'm your dad, <laughs> which was also another whole crazy thing that just flipped me on my back. So, having waking up from a dream of your parents dying and they'd been dying in that moment that you actually woke up in to knowing that my grandmother was coming on, all these connections and threads and all this kind of stuff and, and what you think of the world and what you know it as an, a 12-year-old for me was completely different and having so much trauma in my life and then living with my grandmother, which worked in a church as like, and she was like the total saint. My whole life was completely different. Where do we go from there? You know, obviously you have this whole we all survive childhood, but sounds like you had, again, much like COVID in that way, particular dose of drama. Sure. How do you become this creative guy who has this big career and has done so many big things? And how did you get into photography? That was your first mm, career? No, photography was not my first career. All right. Well, catch us up. <laughs> Let's all right. keep moving. Okay. I went through hit my head. I had grand mal seizure. I almost died at one point in my life. I had brain damage. Like These are all things that happened through my childhood. I experimented with uh, LSD, psychedelics. With psychedelics. <laughs> I'm like, do I say that? Do I not yes. say that? I wasn't really into alcohol and other stuff. So, like, I've always had this craving as, as a child to see things differently because I, I, these, this dream... And then, let's go back one... Let's go back to when I was 10 years old and I woke up and I went out into the hallway and my mom was coming up the stairs and she's like, Witteroo? And I was like, yes, mom. And she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, grandpa just died. And I started like laughing and she's like, hey, that's not funny. Maybe you had a dream. That's not funny. And then 10 minutes later, the phone <gasps> rang and my grandfather died. So, there was these weird spiritual experiences. I don't know. I, I don't know the term of psychic. I yeah. don't know what that open that is or what that is. But these oddities is the way that yeah. I kind of look to look at it happened in my life, and that growing up, going back to my teens, 
always brought this thing of of seeing things that weren't really there and seeing things that happen and like how the world's connected and then spirituality was kind of an, a, an LSD were the only kind of paths that really kind of led you to that. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Like if you were to say something like, you know, oh, I was really good at basketball as a childhood. So now that's why I play really good basketball. As a child, these, these things stand out in my mind as right. like oddities or like things that I was good at or things that happened to me. And so I brought them <laughs> into right, my, right, right. and I always, I was, sought after them i completely sought after spiritual experiences or you know psychedelic experiences because it, some of that stuff felt the same way right so you is that when you got into meditation pretty young right so i studied i did all the things i mean back in the days raves were a thing but they're part of the raves were like the weird dirty hippie parts of the raves and like it's funny to see like mushrooms making a comeback right now right mm -hmm. like that that happened when i was younger we did mushrooms and we danced and we had fun and like it was a mind expansive experience so coming back to all that i thought that i could see things through a dirty glass for a little bit which i think was the drugs is what mm -hmm. i'm saying i'm not saying uh, i think it's a accelerator mm -hmm. for that kind of thing but eventually you realize that it's not it's not the end all be all so that that's what it was and then I started like, I thought a religion like Buddhism was something mm -hmm. for me that had like more of a kind of like structure and walls mm -hmm. around it. And, and even though it's free flowing and all that stuff. And then I realized Buddhism was not for me because it was too structured mm -hmm. or it had rules or it had this or that was like groups or, you know, yeah. you know, I just, I didn't, I never felt like I ever wanted to be a part of a group ever. Mm -hmm. I always felt like a total misfit in that in that facet. So meditation came from me. Like I tried all the all the meditations, right? I tried mm -hmm. the mantra meditation. I tried the nam nam geki go. I probably said that wrong, and all the Buddhists are like, "That's not how you say it." But I tried. I tried all the different meditations, and then yes, to come back to when I was twenty, maybe I tried transcendental meditation. And you don't try transcendental meditation. You're yeah. you're taught transcendental meditation. So mm -hmm. that's a whole story in itself how I got there. But I know time's limited. So no, this is a long program. You're you're really? unfamiliar. This is a long program. We okay. have plenty of time. I mean, we've done episodes on. We've had Bob on, as you know. So in obviously, I do TM. So people who have listened for a while know about TM. And people who are new, it's taught one-to-one -one and, you know, 20 minutes morning, 20 minutes in the evening. Yeah. Um, they can listen to those episodes. But I'm more curious. I remember us talking so about… So, let's go back to that. Can we do that really quick? Because I want yeah. people to go back. And if they've never listened to an episode, to go back to those episodes while sitting here with you. Those kinds of things are so important in meditation. So, if we're going to talk about meditation, I think, like, sure, hear this out. But go back and listen to that. And And, you know, you've had Bob on, which is like you know, someone from me to me is like, he is a saint on this earth. So. Yeah. He's, he's the best. And I think one morning this summer we were hiking up this hill and I was asking you about meditation and we realized that we do the same brand, <laughs> but I'm curious, like what it has done for you since, since then and getting into meditation young and how, you know, we just did an episode of meditation and I think my tendency is to get too dogmatic about things. And anytime I've gotten 
too wrapped up in the form of it needing to be a certain way, it's counterproductive for what it actually is. And I've found now this gentleness with practice of coming into it and out of it. And I think from what I've talked to you about it, you have as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's there for you when you need it, but you're not mean to yourself when you don't get it in or don't get it in in that certain way. Yeah. So can you talk about, talk about where you are with it today and how it ebbs and flows? Wow. I mean, I want to talk about that. And literally it's, it's so funny you say that because the, the shame and the guilt inside of me that was to be like, I didn't do my 20 minutes yesterday afternoon. Man, if the TM community found out that I skipped practice, yeah. they would they would shake a stick at me. So there's, I don't there's think that's always, true, though. I think they'd come at you with a lot of gentleness. They would. You're absolutely right. But as a, as a massive advocate for meditation that I am, I genuinely, genuinely will say that if you are going to step into doing meditation, years of your life should be dedicated to doing 20 minutes in the morning at least and 20 minutes in the evening at least. 22 and a half, as they say. Yes. And those, I, I rode the bike for those many years, but I also, I mean, I do a different technique in TM than most people do. Actually, a lot of people do. Like when I mention what I do, people are like, wait, what? But that's, we'll talk about that in in a minute. So when you say that, uh, yes, do I meditate regularly? And am I completely regular? No, I'm not. (laughs) And And that's okay. Yeah. I think it's actually more, it's important for people as an advocate for meditation to hear that. Just like, when I talk about journaling, like, do I do morning pages every day? No, I try to get it in. I like myself better when I do it. I like myself better when I get my meditation in, but it's, we're all so dysregulated this year. I think when I completely fell in love with myself and when I was proud of me for being me and doing all the things for me and when I was happy with me, right? Yeah. And when, I, when I'm excited just to congratulate me is when... I started to kind of allow myself to just be me. And and for me, not meditating all the time actually is feels good. And so it's really hard to say that because there is that conformity of everything in the world that is written like these are the laws, this is the way, this is how it is, you know, and like you know, I was watching Mandalorian with my kids the other day, and, and like, this is the way the Mandalorian is. If you don't know what it is, Google it. But you know, and it was like, this is the way. And and literally, when I felt that, I was like, oh man, this is the way that you chose to follow someone else's values. And like yeah. for myself, I once I once I created my own values and what that is and what feels right to me. Yeah. Yes, Katie, that's when I decided to to be so grateful for for who i was and what i needed was to not pressure myself with meditation yeah on a regular that's in my situation too of you know i i learned in 2014 spent 2 years like really diligent getting both in i think i missed it one time when i went to a concert and you would have thought i had like committed a mortal sin and then when I moved to New York, really hard to get the second one in. And then 
I saw it negatively impacting my life. Like I saw myself being like, oh shit, I got to get the meditate. Like I could see that thought pattern and it's meant to make you feel better. It's meant to make you feel less stressed. But do you feel that you're a person that is self-aware to know that that you can reach out to understand that you're like, I'm doing this or I'm seeing myself doing this and the different things. I think one of the beauties behind meditation and why I, to be very honest, I feel like if you're going to do TM and you're going to do meditation that you need to practice. And, and, and I, and I think that, I think that maybe I'm not giving you the answer quite that you would want, but I would say that at least for a year, six months, a year, two years, if possible, that you should try your damnedest to yeah. do it 20 and 20. No, I agree. Okay. So that then at a certain point, when you didn't feel like it was serving you, yeah. you went back to say, hey, this isn't serving me. And there was another service through that. But that self-awareness, I will have to say, possibly might have come from doing the years of 20 and 20. So I feel that... If someone is listening to this and they're thinking about taking on meditation, yeah, you have to take it seriously. Yeah, this is not us telling you to cut corners, but I think for me in my life right now, mm-hmm. to not be gentle with myself if I don't get the two in in a day. Yes, yes, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And I, yes, 1,000% agree with that. So something else that you identify as and we've spoken about is you being an introvert. Is that something that you learned about yourself over time? Labels are interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I partially. Okay. Partially introverted. I would also label myself as a serial entrepreneur. I'd label myself as a Gemini. I would label myself as a, a dad, a best friend. I mean, all the labels. The introvert label for me is I love getting up in the morning and loving the world. It's like it's like my favorite thing, like morning time. Early riser. Yes, I want a hundred percent early riser. Early like, to bed, early to rise. Definitely early to bed, like one hundred percent. Yes, and but there's an introvert time that that I love to have in my own morning before I open my door, and there's an introvert time that when I shut my door, I like to be alone, and I like to walk alone a lot. Like I walk alone. You know, in LA, maybe 50% of my walks are alone and I walk on a daily basis. But I like to have one or two people around. When I was, when my ego really needed one or two people around, it needed somebody to stroke my ego around a lot because I was so insecure. These days, I like to have one or two people that challenge me. I'm back to spending time with more mentors than being a mentor. So, um, do I like being an introvert? Am I an introvert? Yeah. But yeah. I well, I look at that. I don't know if I ever told you this, but my mom has worked in HR for like 40 years. And she went and got trained in the Myers-Briggs test when mm-hmm. I was like nine and gave it to me as a child. So, I've been very, like I know a lot about Myers-Briggs. Cool. And it's a spectrum, right? So, yes. what I am is the least extroverted of the extroverts. So I need basically equal time around people and alone. I start to kind of go crazy if I'm alone too much and I go crazy if I'm around people too much. And it sounds like you might be the most extroverted or the introvert or somewhere on that spectrum too. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you are, but 
it's another self-awareness thing of knowing like I need to recharge being alone. I need to walk. I need to close my door and communicating that to the people around you because you're someone who collects people and, and has, you know, you have a very welcoming energy about you. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my house is a revolving door, but yes, there's, there's time in my life where I need hours where I tell my kids, which are my love of my life that I'm like, it's time to shut dad's door. And it's really cute. They so respect it these days where I'm just alone in my room and yeah. in my time. So yeah, I like being an introvert at times. What's the, your greatest lesson on parenthood on being a dad? What has that taught you? I mean, if we want to go back to meditation and this, I mean, I would say that I've never been a musician, right? Like I never played music. I've never actually called myself a photographer. And I know I've, I've, people call me a photographer all the time and I'm like, I'm not really a photographer. It's something I did out of joy and something I, that brought me joy and something I, I, but the joy that it brought me was actually delivering images to people of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Not that I felt like I was creating. I felt always felt more as a photojournalist. So like felt like a photojournalist, never wanted to be one. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. So, um, Coming, coming back to this, everything in my life that I've created, I create love. And I know this it sounds kind of egocentric, but as an artist, I feel like I create love all the time. And so it's being a father and seeing how loving my kids are and how beautiful my kids are mm. and how loving they are to humans. Maybe not to each other because they're brothers, but seeing these two like they're i don't want to call my kids my favorite art pieces Mm. but they're my favorite love pieces and i think that it's yeah so can i go back to something really quick are you okay with that i feel like there's something that keeps resonating inside of me that when going back to saying my parents died and spirituality and everything one of my biggest things in life and you were kind of like oh you made it through all this successfulness and i worked in marketing for years of my life and i think why i excelled in marketing was because i was a survivor and as a survivor sometimes you make shit up to get through life and also when you are in my life i had to make a lot of shit up to survive in my own skin also, you become dishonest. And through dishonesty, when it starts to become a pattern, right? It start, you, start, you do it all the time and it starts to do these things. And so, it worked really well when I needed to do something or somebody would be like, do you know how to fix air conditioning units? And I needed a job and I'd be mm-hmm. like, uh, yes, I do. <laughs> and then I would have to do that, that dishonesty thing of like figuring out what the hell, how to fix yeah. an air conditioning unit. My grandma would say a lie has no legs. It needs additional lies to support it. Exactly. But where you do the work to cover up the lie, Mm -hmm. which is just gross. Yes. You have to manage what, this is why I don't lie and why I'm so honest because not for altruistic reasons, just because it's a lot of anxiety to manage. Yeah. And so coming back to that, a lot of my successes were fake it till you make it, Mm -hmm. lying and being dishonest about what you can do and not do, but then trying your damnedest to survive in that because all you wanted to do was like just survive and, and, and be seen and be you. As a survivor, 
you're trying to like survive and trying to like fill that gap, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, there's something hollow inside of you. And so I struggled with this because of things in my childhood, which I'm not bypassing any of this because I ended up going to a, God, it was like radical honesty program is what it was called. For some reason, I don't want to call it something else, but I went through the radical honesty program because it was hard for me to sit through being honest. Like my dad would, when I was younger, he'd be like, did you do this? And I knew if I said yes to something that I did, but I, it wasn't that I did anything wrong. He would just get upset and then beat me. So it's like, I, it was easier for me to lie as a child. And that pattern perpetuated into when I would be in a relationship with somebody and they would say something and I would literally, I can't describe it because I don't think people that grew up this way could ever f understand this feeling. The feeling of abandonment and, and, and leaving or whatever, you would get cold sweats and you would start sweating and you'd have anxiety and it would be crazy and then you'd be dishonest. Yeah. And then they would give you, they would show you a glimpse of not being upset with you and you, yeah. you would, oh, that would go away. Yeah. So learning how to sit through honesty yeah we all want to be seen and loved for who we really are the authentic version but we wear these masks to try to be liked and then we accidentally get loved for that and then that's got to keep that jig up or you know <laughs> totally. i believe that people can't people see right through it yeah no i mean i think i mean i think the right people see right through it right yeah. and and then you know then you're surrounding yourself with people that either see right through it or you're running from people that can see right through it. Right. Yeah. So there's two different avenues there. And one is growth. You one articulated is... what I was trying to say beautifully. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I think what's interesting about my experience in relationships is it's so uncomfortable when I'm not being myself. Like I can walk away from a situation and be like, all right, well, it, that was me fully. That was the best version of me or maybe not the best, but at least it was fully me. But I think the uncomfortable part is walking away from a relationship and knowing that they didn't get to see me, you know? Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Being me these days, um, because I think that I've, I've got over the hump. I'm 47. So now it's just like, kind of feel like I'm just in a fuck it scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Like I got my, I got my fucking kids. I got my life. I'm yeah, I pivoted through COVID. I figured out things. I figured out a way for my worst case scenario that I have a nineteen fifty-four Spartan trailer on an island if I have to go hide out, you know, and I don't want to pay my taxes ever again and just like hermit. I figured that out. Uh -huh. So like I've got all these great safety measures in my life, which are really fun, but ultimately they're they're also my dream, right? Like yeah. for me to live in the woods. But Kind of coming back to this now, I I don't wish that I learned all this stuff when I was younger. I'm I'm so happy where I'm now. My kids are of age to where they see me just living in my truth, and it's so great. Yeah, I think it's. Everyone said turning thirty would feel really great, and I think the older we get, the more self aware we become, and we're you know hopefully we're the most self aware right before we die, which is bleak, but this is what I've got to work with this time around. Oh, I, I think it's, I, it's amazing to me um, when I look in the mirror and I, and I get like uh, the other day, I was like, oh, there's a new aging spot and there's one. And I remember when I was younger, I was so scared to get wrinkles and get old and like get a certain way. I was like, oh my God, I, I, 
I'm, what am I going to do when I don't have this, you know, fresh face? And it's fun because it's, I moved to California, I don't know what, 10 years ago or something. And it's just destroyed me and my skin because the sun here is just gnarly. I have aged 10 years in the last six months. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> like stay away, people stay away. It moved to the Northwest. My point is, is that I, I thought that I would feel so yucky I feel beautiful. Like, it's so great. I, it's like weird to look at. Age looks so good on you. <laughs> it's you. so true. Thank you. I appreciate it. You are someone who ages so well and like your hair, your face. I've been staring at it this whole time. Like, beautiful <laughs> eyes. There are standards of beauty that I think the standard is different for women and men with this. I hear you when you say that, but I, I've always had a bit of more of a feminine approach to my feel, look, and fashion and life. Yeah. No, I hear you. I do think this, I still I think, think the standard is different. gray hair on women is like, please stop dyeing your hair, people. I think gray hair is beautiful. I think natural hair is beautiful. I think, um, I yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the older lady is pretty sexy to me these days, so. I want to go back up to Washington. We sure. kind of glossed over getting to here. You've lived in a lot of places. You mm -hmm. don't characterize yourself as a photographer, but you've always been a creative person. Creatively, how did your childhood impact you? And then how did you get into the career that you've crafted for yourself? So I, I, when I was younger, I worked in events. Like I said earlier, the raves turned into rave producer nightclub producer we started we were one of the companies that started a thing back in the day called launch parties grunge music was happening um at this time and dot com these are two different things two big major things are happening in seattle at simultaneously like and we don't think about that we're like wait microsoft was booming and grunge music was booming and then we were like, hey, let's get Pearl Jam to play the opening of this Microsoft thing. Like those kinds of combinations. And we called it a launch party. And then, you know, and, uh, you know, because there was so much abundance amount of money and different things. So I was kind of on this wave of creativity. And when there was so much money and people were like, what can we do? And literally we would say, hey, let's make a giant couch out of the Microsoft colors that's huge and have everyone sit around and have people wear roller skates and serve drinks. And, you know, I mean, I could go on, and, you know, let's do a laser light show with this on and on and on with creativity that, that we had to do. And I mean, it was just, I was kind of born into it, to be honest with you. And there was um, uh, Jared Harler. If you don't know who Jared Harler or, Actually, sorry, Jared Lovejoy, I think, if you Google his name these days, and Alex Calderwood and Jason Lovejoy Harler, uh, two gay brothers that were my mentors when I was younger, twins, twin gay brothers that were my mentors. I can't tell you, and this is when there was still bars and alleys, gay bars and alleys in Seattle. This is kind of, you know... The, oh my god i could go on a tangent with that but i had <laughs> i guess i guess where where my creativity started was i was you know my mentors were two gay twin brothers and Are a you guy that's with them yeah they were yeah they they supported me in what i wanted to do they started a record label called like sweet mother records there was just like all these amazing things and there was also another man that was a part of this little clique 
Um, and his name was Alex Calderwood, which ended up starting the Ace Hotel. And so these were my my bosses slash mentors, and I just did whatever they wanted at the time. I also was a tour manager when they didn't have work for me, and I went out on tour with rock bands and you know, and traveled the world. And so I don't know. I, I, I don't know why I was so blessed with this, but I hate to say that sometimes people would say, can you do this? And I couldn't, and I would say yes, and then I would make it happen. And so it's like weird to be like, oh, my dishonesty was part of my my process. And then going back to anything can happen and we're connected was also part of my process because when my parents died, it was kind of the best spiritual awakening I've ever had in my entire life, feeling that cord snap, knowing that there's things that you can't see. So there is that. So then wanting to connect people and, you know, and God, man, I mean, that could go on and on. Yeah. I, when you when you were telling the story about your parents dying and, and being at camp and your grandmother coming, I just visualize it as a very Wes Anderson-esque scene where... Very. It's, it was in a cove exactly like that little dance scene. Wow. When my parents passed away and, you know, you can't see that, you can't feel that, but all of that stuff happens and you feel that from head to your toe to your mind to your heart to just like, you, you're just oozing it at that time. And you're like, how is this possible to know something like this that happened when you're just, uh, and you're awakened from it and it actually happened? Why is this happening? And then when you realize that it's almost like saying anything is possible because the impossible, you know, happened to me, like this, this being awakened by this crazy, weird connection, it made everything possible because that thing that if you, you if you can think it and do it it can happen and so let's just say this let's say that i randomly thought that my parents passed away and i just randomly had a dream and was wakened and i felt a certain way and it didn't and like it did happen but what if it was just happenstance my dream really kind of came true right so like I know how morbid that sounds, but I had this, you know, then and that moment where it's like, did I manifest this or did it manifest itself or did it actually happen? Did I have a spiritual connection cord break? So, like, just taking all of those different things and and thinking, like, you're, you can manifest anything and those things can happen. Maybe they won't happen right now and they might happen 10 years or or right at your deathbed you might that one thing that you manifested when you were 20 might happen but i really believe in that feeling and that thing so mm -hmm. i'd like to just kind of share more of a story of there's been a lot of times where manifestation in my mind but what, what do they i always forget this phrase what do they call it when you're when you're self-fulfilling prophecy and manifestation mm, are they the same yeah. thing a little bit is there some some level there because i remember you know i'm not going to name names or anything i think that this is horrible but i i manifested that these two people would be together and i was together with one of them and i didn't i like i felt something and then i started to like in my mind manifest this feeling or like somebody calls it gut feeling but then i was like it must be it must be it must be and it felt like i manifested 
them getting together and then me being left on my own. And like, I watched even the manifestation of that or self-fulfilling prophecy create and happen with my own energy around it. And I, and I saw the, the dark side of how that could work. And so that was a huge eye opener to me in my life when I, when I was like, when then later they weren't together when they became on their own, mm -hmm. there's a couple like one, one person left me and I was manifesting them being together in my head and like blaming them and saying that this, and then they got together later and then it didn't work out for them. And it was really interesting because I, I, I took it on like it was that I had something to do with it. Like I actually kind of pushed them together. And I feel like that you have to watch out with the manifestation, the mm -hmm. extremes, the this, the that. And I don't know if sometimes if it's good or it's bad. So that's a bad scenario. Okay. So this person was doing something that I wanted. That's why I, that, that they were producing something that I wanted to produce. And my partner at the time left and went to go be with them. And out of that spite, and out of that rage, I decided that I my competitive side came out in me. Yeah. Deeply competitive side. And I decided I was going to manifest the most amazing thing possible. And I was going to manifest my own family and my own connections and my own everything. Sounds like I'm about to start a cult. Um, but I produced an event based off of out of spite he expanded me to do it for myself and not for others i mean there's when i say something like that i feel overly privileged and that's the problem with talking about manifestation it's like there's a great meme that's like is it manifest did you manifest that or is it white privilege like there's a lot of privilege that comes to anything that either of us have mm, in front yeah. of us yeah and that's important to acknowledge yeah yeah i've got a new mentor in that her name's megan delaney um, she was my ex-girlfriend of like when I was really young. Is she the one that I lived with for a second? Oh yeah, I Megan. love Megan. Yeah, yeah. Megan Delaney is my my mentor of understanding my white privilege. Okay, interrupting this conversation with Whitney to tell you about our sponsors this week. This is about the time where I think we both got up to take a bathroom break. So if you need to do the same, feel free, stretch hydrate and you know listen to the sponsors that make this whole operation possible and i'll be back with you in a few minutes for the lightning round the questions i ask everybody everybody's favorite portion of this podcast this week's episode is brought to you by hellofresh get fresh pre-measured ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store that, you know, are tricky right now. And it makes home cooking actually easier and pretty fun and more affordable too, which is cool. So you've heard me mention every plate earlier this year on the podcast. And today we're actually talking about HelloFresh, as I said, and HelloFresh owns every plate, which allows them to offer a wider array of meals and plans to choose from. I love both. Every plate, HelloFresh, all in the family. 
HelloFresh is what we're talking about today, and they make cooking easy and less stressful. HelloFresh offers convenient delivery right to your door, and their recipes are so quick to follow, simple steps. They even have pictures that guide you along the way. Christine, my friend and I, are keeping the recipe cards actually because we've been liking the recipes so much they give you enough for two and so my friend christine who i mentioned came over and we made this great meal together and and she was saying you know she's worked with hellofresh before too and she kind of told me how to do it and was like okay put all my trash in this little bag and i liked the whole process from start to finish and what's really cool about hellofresh is that all these recipes are so simple they take only about 30 minutes to make and you can save up to 40 percent when you use hellofresh versus shopping at the grocery store and they have a really great variety you know they deliver these high quality pre-portioned ingredients you can make meals that are really they're so good like i really liked them so much and over 90 percent of their ingredients are sourced directly from growers to ensure peak flavor and ripeness and HelloFresh offers more than 20 chef crafted delicious options every single week so you can break out of a recipe rut if you will you can try new things and every night can be different which is really cool and this is my favorite part of HelloFresh it's sustainable that was the thing I was really worried about of like having all of these pre-packaged things and but listen to this HelloFresh is the first global carbon neutral meal kit company which i think is really cool by skipping the grocery store and using hellofresh you're reducing your food waste by at least 25 percent hellofresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients so you're not overbuying, which is a burden on the planet and you know your wallet the packaging for hellofresh that they ship your food in is almost entirely made of recyclable and or already recycled content, which I think is just chef's kiss, if you will. And since they offset their operations, travel and shipping emissions, HelloFresh's carbon footprint is 25% lower than store-bought grocery store meals. Last thing I love about HelloFresh is that it's really easy to change your plan or your delivery days or any of your preferences. You can skip a week whenever you need to. You can do that right on the app, which is really cool. You can keep your fridge stocked by adding extra meals or additional proteins or quick meals like on the go, 10 minute lunches. It's really simple. And one more thing, actually. HelloFresh is committed to giving back, which I also love. HelloFresh is donating to people in need. So far in 2020, they have donated 3.5 million meals. You can help too with HelloFresh's Beyond the Box program, where you give nutritious meals to those experiencing food insecurity with just a couple clicks in the app. They're great, right? So go to HelloFresh.com slash LetItOut90 and use the code LetItOut90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash LetItOut90 and use the code LetItOut90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. Thank you so much, HelloFresh. You're really cool. This week's episode is brought to you by a new sponsor, One Hope Wine. One Hope is a Napa Valley winery where every bottle of their award-winning wine supports a meaningful cause. Their commitment to high-quality wine is as important as their commitment to causes that they support. Through the sale of every bottle, One Hope has donated over five 
million to causes around the world, from building a school in Guatemala to funding over 3 million meals for children in need. They're on a mission to nourish the future. They also believe that you shouldn't have to sacrifice your wallet to enjoy quality award-winning wines. Their award-winning wines begin at just $25, and you might need to you know, fill up a, a bar cart, if you will, this holiday season, so you can stock up on the award-winning 90-plus point Napa wines at 20% off from One Hope. Get 5% off four packs, 10% off six packs, 20% off 12 packs, and earn rewards with every purchase. Every bottle supports a meaningful cause, and again, over $5 million have been donated, which is really cool. Visit onehopewine.com slash letitout and use the code letitout for $10 off your first order. Again, that's onehopewine.com slash letitout and use letitout as the code for $10 off your first order. This holiday season is a really great time to try their best-selling bottles. They have these shimmering bottles, which are cool. Again, that is onehopewine.com slash let it out. Use the code let it out for $10 off your first order. That's O-N-E-H-O-P-E-W-I-N-E.com slash let it out for $10 off your order. Thanks, One Hope Wine. It's really cool that you're here, and I hope that you guys try them out, you know? I have a bottle here. I, I drank it with my friend Sophie the other night. Don't overthink it. What is the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Sushi last night. What is something that you've learned or taught yourself that you wish everyone would know? Mm. I'm not overthinking it because it just was a, f- I, my mind works. So it was like a, it was like a tidal wave. To be honest with you, I think that meditation, I think that oddly enough that that gift of meditation and going to therapy, those two things, yeah. those are the two things that I learned in my life that are so special. And then yeah, meditation and therapy. Those are the two things I learned in my life that are so valuable. I would agree with both of those. Yeah. How do you feel about spirituality, God, what happens when we die? I constantly um, am grateful for the life that I've had and, and led. And I feel these days like I don't feel like committing suicide, but I'm like, oh, if I die, it'd be fine. I'm ready to die whenever. I'm happy about that. Every day that I wake up, I'm, I'm blessed that I get another day. I think if I didn't have children, I, I mean, obviously, I don't know what that would feel like because I do. But my boys, I wake up, I don't want to say that I live for them because I just kind of live. But my spiritual side, this is such a heavy question. I know, I just slip it on in there between the uh, the light ones, between sushi. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to die whenever it comes and whatever it brings. I I don't fear it. I, you know that I have a coffin or a casket. Sorry, I have a casket in my garage. That you're trying to sell, right? I was, and then it wasn't selling for the price I wanted. And then I just realized that if I just lug it around for the rest <laughs> of my life on some piece of comedy, right? 
And then all of a sudden they're like, he died. And everyone's just like, well, he's got that coffin. So we don't what have to a, buy that. What if a let it out listener wants to purchase the casket? Get in touch? No, no, I don't think at this point, I think, I think that. It's uh, not for sale. It's not for sale. Okay. Yeah. It's been used. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've, I've closed it and taken naps in it. It's mine. It's yours. Yeah, yeah. You've broken it in. What is your greatest lesson on creativity? Oh man, this word bliss just keeps, I think it's such a privileged word, but it's just like, it's so crazy. I just keep coming in to follow your bliss, follow your bliss, just follow your bliss, follow your bliss. And I don't know why I keep saying that in my head. My greatest lesson in creativity. I don't know if it's self-centeredness or my ego or what, but it's just like creativity just flows out of me. (laughs) I just, it feels so bougie to say that, but it's like, the ideas are just popping off. I just think that, I, that I'm okay with failing. The other day I was on set for a boy band called uh, Pretty Good or Pretty True or Pretty something. Or, Clearly they made an impact. It was like Pretty Good or something like that. It was like one word and they're like a boy band. And I was working on set and I threw out an idea, mm-hmm. right? thought that everyone would love it and literally it was crushed by like a boy band and my and I loved that I threw it out and then so then I was just like super embarrassed and I was just like I wanted to crawl into a rock mm-hmm. and like everyone was like what that's so weird and then literally like later one of the band members just came up to me and was just like yo man that was the dumbest idea <laughs> But I love that you just like went for it and you like gathered everyone's attention and like, and like, like just laid it down. What was the idea? Oh, uh, I, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going to, I'm, and, um, it, it, this is like, a, it's hard to explain because okay. it was like a boy band yeah, dance yeah, yeah, move yeah. and then all maybe right, all some, right. you know, and it was like, a, a, <laughs> it was a dance move. Yeah. <laughs> please show me later please so anyways it was just funny because i just threw it out there and at this and i love that i failed and then i love that i threw it out there and then like that somebody came up to me and was like yo like i think his words were you had balls (laughs) to be able to freaking do that that was so cool and it was just like it was like and said something like you know good on you and that uh, my point is is that sometimes when you fail with the worst idea yeah. ever and everyone like literally makes you feel like crap like these they were like very privileged boy band guys. oh man fucking dope you know like yeah that's such a good story to to have a conversation about because i think that's so healthy and i love that you did that and i love that about you and my friend serena's dad says this thing success teaches you nothing right and so i love that you had you did that. I've, as myself, as a woman, as a, I'm younger than you, that takes a lot of, he's right. It takes a lot of balls. It takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of being, feeling comfortable in yourself. Mm. And we were talking about this in a conversation recently of like, for some people it, it does, it takes, I might've had that idea or a different idea, but just being able to say it is, I have a lot of barriers, right? Or I might not feel comfortable and so i think that's something that i love about you and i'm so happy you have and i wish that everyone would have you know to be able to like throw the ideas at the wall and that's honestly like the whole impetus of creative underdogs the thing that i do is like i think creativity is 
important for our mental health and connection, not necessarily just if it comes to anything of unused creativity hurts us, you know? Do you remember a conversation that we had at one point where I said, you know, my parents died, my grandmother died, I grew up in Seattle during the time of gang era and saw people being shot on the streets and dying. Um, I had friends that died of suicide. I worked for the gay mafia. I had like all these like uphill battles of of spending time with survivors and death and and craziness. And then I I stated that my survivorness and the and all these like crazy things happened to me to be able to be grateful for all of this other the things in my life and my survivorness was just when you're like give me a you know a two cent thing on 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 creativity like my thing goes i feel that all the pain and suffering and dishonesty and shittiness in my life like watching people be mowed down by a machine gun like i've seen the worst things in my life and those builders those building blocks have given me the ability to think differently and then i was we were talking with somebody and there was another person that was there and they were like well my life was pretty sheltered and those things didn't happen to me and in that situation i had to think so fast to get out of it and be creative on the where i was going to run right like someone had a gun i had to run when my dad was literally look like if I said one word to him, I'd have to creatively think of how to get out of it or I was going to get my ass beat or, you know, um, my mother died and I had to go live with my grandmother. So I just had to figure out a way to accept her and then make my life good. So I could actually live in happiness. Those things that have happened in my life have, have created a place where I had to create for myself love and acceptance and some of it was out of my control, but I had to accept all of that stuff. And so sometimes when I meet these like trust fund or privileged kids or these, you know, I got, I got to go to college for four years. And, and then there's a side of me where this is going to sound like a total asshole, but I'm going to do it. Um, that, that, you know, like a lot of people are like, oh, well, he's got a trust fund. And then maybe some people are like jealous of that trust fund or jealous of, of they grew up a certain way. Like there's a side of me that's like when I meet somebody that just kind of had like a, like a really great upbringing and a really great thing. There's a side of me and I see that they're trying to find themselves and that they're a bit of a misfit. Maybe they grew up and their brothers were more paid attention to or something along those lines that I feel superior for all the shit that has happened to me, right? Instead of looked down upon. Everybody has their thing. And it might not be like, I've got my thing, you've got your, we've all got our trauma of surviving childhood, you know? Yeah. I think that that what's interesting is when you watch the person that was raised in a really good home and really good home, and then they start to find themselves is absolutely beautiful. That's really interesting when they, when you, then all of a sudden you realize that they're just, they are an individual and everybody's an individual and it doesn't matter what happened in your childhood. It doesn't matter what's happened in your yeah. future. It's all about the moments and it's all about these beautiful moments. And so sometimes when I go into my little assholeness, 
when I go into that, that like, oh, why am I creative? Because all this shit happened to me. So I had to think really fast and I had to do all this kind of stuff. But then when I think when somebody is loved, like my children, like I'm like, my children haven't remotely even been in any of the trauma that I this and then and then I'm around people that have had really good homes and they're really big people and they're creative. All of this stuff wipes away, falls away, and it's like fuck it, that's all bullshit. Doesn't matter. And every just the individual of every single human, from somebody that works at McDonald's to somebody that is picking up my trash to someone that's the president to this, it's like we're all individuals, we're all human, we're all in the same playing field, and we're all in this most beautiful place in the entire world. And that is when you start to realize that moment is when you can just love everyone and everything is the most creative possible thing I think that you can do is finding that place of where that is and why that is important. When we realize that we're all connected and we're not that different, there's a real freedom there. And I think that's really beautiful. What is your favorite part and least favorite part about living in LA? My favorite part are the cold morning sunlight walks. That's my favorite part of LA is that calmness and stillness when I'm walking on these kind of dirt brushy hills by myself and the coyotes. The sunrise here, it brings me so much joy. I don't like it at 10 o'clock. It gets too hot and then I have to take my sweatshirt off. But yeah. And then the worst part? Yeah. Honestly, the worst part for me is is the summers. It's so freaking hot here. And it's gross and like breathing in hot air. It's just, yeah. it, it's, it feels weird in my lungs. Yeah. I don't mind the heat so much. Like maybe I'm in the right place. Yeah. yeah. What are your, what do you do if you're having a shitty day? How do you pivot, make yourself feel better? If I'm having a shitty day, how do I, um, I usually go lie down with my son or hang out with my kids and just kind of stop all of that stuff. I love that. It, it, it's really interesting during Corona, because there wasn't any work, I used to put work above everything else. And then like family and then like myself and or like myself always, me first, and then and then all the things. It's really fun because lately through corona I've just put the kids first. And it's hard now to you know, it's like some people are like not wanting to go back to work because the stimulus checks have been really nice. I don't want to go back to work because my kids have been amazing. Mm, that's really sweet. What are your thoughts on social media? If you had to sum it up in a sentence, what's your relationship to your phone and technology? All over the boards. I think at times it's a, a marketing tool. At times it's a connector. At times it's you find the most amazing people out there. I think it's, I think it's a great source of information. I think that sometimes it's a time suck, but I, I actually set up time for time suck. Like where I'm like, I'm going to take 30 minutes and look at crazy weird motorcycle races or, you know, or like people that do weird stuff or bad memes. I'll, I'll actually set like 30 minutes aside. You do a lot of things when you feel unfocused or, or scattered. Is there something that helps you stay organized? When I'm feeling, what actually when I'm feeling really busy, I drink half a cup of coffee and not a full cup. Mm. So I think that, yes, I think that first off in the morning, it's just physical stuff. So if I have a lot to do, I'll actually drink a half a cup of coffee and then I'll, I'll 
space it out throughout yeah, the day. Yeah, that's smart. Um, so I do that. Um, and then the other thing, I do write stuff down on paper with a pen, notes. Like I don't, I don't actually use my phone. Those are good. If you could have two alternative lives, what would they be? First thing that comes to your mind. You can pick a person or like career, whatever. Don't overthink it. For all the work I've ever done. My, so this life that I'm in right now, that's the one that I'm good with. I mm-hmm. fucking love my life right now. Like my kids are great. I'm great. I'm doing things. Like it just, it. I, there's not an alternative life. I would like, I think I would love to have, to be a philanthropist slash politician. I think that I could, I actually think that I could be an amazing politician. I think my ideas are um, strong enough to actually create better communities and support communities. I'm a bit of a socialist on that, but I think that um, I wish that I had more money to give away to different areas that I want. Or, I mean, I don't want to say I want to be president, but I. Whitney Kent Chamberlain, 2024. I mean, I'm not afraid of it. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm 47 and I'm like, oh, I've never been in politics. And if these guys can get in office and be president and like just listening to that, you know, sleepy Joe up there chit chatting it up. Like, I mean, he's, you know, and I'm, I'm like, mm, I could do that. All right. Campaign. You heard it here first, folks. Exclusive. Yeah. Politician. I'd be a politician with money. What are you most curious about right now? My most curiosity right now is I want to slow down. And not in slow down of like, I don't want to think. I, I actually want not as much noise around me. During Corona, I went up to an island and I spent about two months on this island. And it was mind-blowing for me to be able to slow down like that. And then, But I was working really hard, but it was, it was just me giving up the stuff that I needed. So for me, the most interesting thing is, is like, how can I not live in Los Angeles? And I'm creatively trying to figure that out. And the problem is, is that I share my kids with my ex-wife. And so I, I'm, I'm slowly coming to terms with that's not going to happen. So anyways. TBD. You're having a dinner party. You can invite no more than five people. It doesn't have to be five. What do you cook slash eat and what do you, who do you invite what do you hope you talk about what do you not want to talk about okay so food wise organic grown butter leaf lettuce i don't know why but i'm obsessed with it right now maybe with avocados and some almonds and different things like that i think that whole meal aspect um would be I would invite the gardener and and farm person that actually has all that stuff to cool. actually bring it to the to the dinner and make all that and I would I I think at that level I just wanted to be vegetarian so somebody with a farm <laughs> I would invite and have them bring their food and because then it would be like literally made with love Does yeah that make, yep, you know yep. what I mean and like they loved it for so long and then you just get to sit there and just be like oh my god I feel so special yeah um so that's what we would eat. And that's one person I would okay. invite to the to the thing um, dinner. Uh, my kids have to be at the table. All right, that's three. Um, do I get what two more? Mm-hmm. Jared uh, Lovejoy and Michael Antonio. Mm-hmm. And what do you want to talk about? 
I want to talk about, I think it'd be really fun to talk about our funerals and what mm-hmm. we would talk about at each other's funerals. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I think that would be one topic. I think it'd be really fun. Greatest lesson on friendship or what, where are you with that? Don't force it. Don't push it. Allow it to be natural. My best friend in my entire life, Michael, has come in and out. For some reason, I'll cry, cry when I'm talking about him, but he's come in and out of my life and we've supported each other so much. Right now, his wife gave me a job and I'm, I'm, I'm literally lining my pockets and feeding, putting food on my, because of him. Um, and her, of course, he, it kind of comes as a unit. And there's been ideas that we both have come up with where he's made him thousands of dollars and supported his family. And so that friendship of like kind of give and take to actually really take care of each other is good. And like, I'm going to spend my Thanksgiving holiday with him and a new close person in my life and my old mentor. And we're going to go up to Orcas Island. And I just think that just like really loving and being accepting of of someone. And if you're not accepting of them, then don't be their friend. (laughs) Like let people be themselves. And if you're, if you're constantly trying to change someone in your life to be your friend, just give it some space. I mean, there's times where we weren't friends because it wasn't, it wasn't working for us. Right. wasn't, and then we grew, but that, and that friendship grew back together. It's, It's so beautiful. Roots are always connected. Yeah. Okay, this is the portion of the podcast to recommend things. So these can be all-time favorites or things you're loving right now, but movie, song, place you visited, book. Unconditional Love is a song. It's a country singer. I'd have to pull up my phone. I'm I'm not a real name dropper person. I, I mean, I forget names all the time. So there's a song called Unconditional Love. Um, I think there's a song by Sinead O'Connor called like Thank You for Loving Me. Oh, okay. It's like again, I'm butchering this. We'll find it. Yep. Okay, we'll find it. Movie. I don't know why this movie just popped in my mind, which is this movie called Under the Skin. What is that again? <laughs> I don't I, I don't I've seen it. I don't Who's remember. I think it's really dark. I don't know. It just popped in my mind. What I is just that? I loved the creativity behind it and the just the idea that aliens <laughs> live on our earth. But I mean the Mr. Rogers movie or like documentary. The Tom Hanks one? Or yeah, the doc? Both of them. I mean anything, Mr. Rogers. Yeah. I like, haven't seen the Tom Hanks one, only the doc. Yeah, the doc is really there's two docs, right? There's two docs and then the Tom Hanks one that's really good. For some reason the movie Mustang. All right. Book, TV show. I mean, there's books that I love out there and want to recommend. I mean, right now I'm kind of in a um, Guillaume Wolf phase, which is just like a simple read each day. Um, So anything about Guillaume Wolf. And then um, Jeff Brown, not that like he's a little rough around the edges at times and might say things at certain times that I don't agree with, but I kind of like that. But I also love that he makes up his own vocabulary. I don't know him. Yeah. So Jeff Brown, like something there. Yeah. TV show? Soulmates that's on AMC right now. Is it good? I think it's really weird. It, I think it's the same people that did Black Mirror. Mm. I thought it was interesting. What is your like... Favorite food, last meal food, other than butter lettuce. Like, what's 
something that you love. That mama's chocolate. Do you know that? It's yeah, you only, mamas or something. Yeah, you only find it in the the refrigerator area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the the there's a tahini one and a rose one. Mm. Those two chocolates, like so good. I've never had it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Though. It's one of those things where I I like to eat a lot. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I love to, I'm going to, I'll eat a giant salad or I'll stuff myself to where I'm like this. But for some reason with this chocolate, I, 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 it's only a little bit that I'm like, yeah, and it melts in your mouth and it, and it's, and it's in the refrigerator. So you don't feel like it has a bunch of preservatives. Yeah. Yeah. I'm into that. So the name of this podcast, as you know, is let it out. Is there anything else you want to share? Or let out? I think that, yeah, I, I always come to realize that you're, best book is the book you're writing for yourself Mm. and so when i sit down and i think of all these like amazing people and these amazing things and you know we talk about like what's your favorite you know and like when i'm you know like my favorite book is the book i'm writing in my own head i like kind of stumbled upon that one i really like this body and person and human that i've been given and the reflection of the mirror of my children um, on a daily basis is very, I'm very grateful mm. for that. And I'm glad I broke the fucking chain. I don't beat my children. I love everyone. And um, I'm not selfish enough to take my own life. I'm strong enough. Let me tell you, I'm adventurous enough to do it. But I think that if I was to give anyone on this podcast anything, it's like, think about that term of breaking that chain. Our American ways of just like everything that's in it, like breaking a chain is like so many things. Letting a dog off that chain, letting the letting those people go, breaking so many chains. And so it's like, you can break chains in your life. And so it's like, of things that have happened to you. And I've broken so many of those and it feels really good and freeing. And so it's like, I think when you break all those chains and you realize who you are, you do, you kind of float to the heavens. And so then you realize that heaven is really here on earth and you're living it and it's a really beautiful place. Mm, Thanks, Whit. Thank you. Love you. Love you too. So we end the podcast letting out a deep breath together. You ready? Sure. I've been letting them out the whole time. (laughs) Keep letting it out. Let it out. All right, we did it. That was my conversation with Whitney. Follow him on Instagram. Learn about field trips. Sign up for a field trip. Learn about all the things that he does. He's, you know, obviously such a fascinating person. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope it made you feel less alone and think of things in a new way perhaps i hope it made you laugh the story about him giving his idea for choreography to the boy band made me so happy (laughs) anyway wit is so talented and just a really great person and i'm sure you got that from this episode also field trip is so genuinely cool and i am excited to learn more about it i was on their website like I was saying at the beginning to add the link to the show notes. And I was looking through some of the speakers and a lot of podcast guests like Lauren Zander and Aaron Claire Jones and Jared. Aaron's been on the show three times, I think, but a lot of friends of let it out are also overlapping with field trip, which is really cool. And I don't even think I got to tell Whitney that. So 
maybe I'll tell it to him this way. So Whitney does this thing where he says, and it's so funny and honest at the same time, he says, my ego wants you to know whatever it is, you know, oh, I've actually read that book or whatever. And I don't know, I just really like that. And I think we should maybe all adopt that bit of a saying. (laughs) All right, couple more things before I tell you the emoji of the week. Next week on the show, my friend Christine, another neighbor, she's really my best friend here, and she will be back on the podcast. She hasn't been on in years. We are doing a Happy Thank You More Please episode with her. And if you don't know what Happy Thank You More Please is, it is a series based off of the 2010 movie that I love, where guests come with three prompts, something there happy about, something they want more of, and something that they're grateful for. So next week, you'll get to hear from Christine Nguyen. Also, there's a new spiraling episode out next week. If you're new here, that's the second Let It Out Produced podcast. It happens to be one that I co-host with Serena Wolf. It's about mental health, and we're talking about comparative suffering next week. And it's actually somehow weirdly really funny episode because Serena's hilarious. Lastly, we make a gift guide every year and as a team, we put one together this year. So that is linked in the show notes. If you want to see that, it's basically everything that we've talked about on the podcast. So items, but also book, well, books are items, but organizations that we support and things that we've mentioned that we've loved this year and ideas for gifting. And this year we made a separate one for home items because both Maria and I moved like the same month this year. So we had a lot we wanted to share around that because I was starting from scratch as, well, maybe you don't know, <laughs> as some of you might know if you do listen to this show weekly. Okay, as always, the show notes can be emailed right to you if you want. If not, just click the link below and I will talk to you next week. I'm really glad you're here and thank you, Whitney, for being here. And the emoji this week is the fire. I don't know. I meant to ask Whitney what his favorite emoji is and I haven't heard back from him. So we're just going to say the fire for right now. I, this is dark, but I saw the wildfires that were so bad here, really, really bad here a couple months ago. I'm just remembering how bad actually waking up with ash covering everything and smoke and it was so wild and, you know, so sad for all the people way more affected uh, than than I was. But anyway, I could see them from his house, so feels fitting. Um, but anyway, that's a dark, strange <laughs> note to end on. But I hope you enjoyed this episode and it made you feel less alone or laugh or learn something. And I will talk to you next week. <laughs>